Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. My name is Audrey Rinlisbacher. I am the founder of the Mission Driven Mom and author of The Mission Driven Life. And today we're going to talk about how to discover your life mission. And we're going to go over some real basics and fundamentals, things that you can do right now to really get yourself on the mission path. The details of the seven laws of life mission were covered in another podcast. And of course, they're um, delineated in detail with a lot of examples from the Ten Boom family in my book, The Mission Driven Life. So if you don't have a copy of that, go over and get one at themissiondrivenmom.com. In the meantime, today we're going to spend some time talking about the very, very beginnings, kind of the mindset, kind of the very first steps. If you're really being inspired by this idea of life mission, you're not exactly sure what you ought to be doing. We're going to talk about that today. I want to start by telling you about some other people who were definitely mission-driven individuals. And I'm just going to briefly talk about the very beginnings of their mission path. And I think after I've told you a couple of these examples, you'll start to see what it is I'm getting at. So the first one is Albert Schweitzer, who was absolutely amazing. He's one of my heroes. And of course, he won the Nobel Peace Prize and he did a lot of amazing things in his life. But it all started when he was young. He said that he had lived a very happy life. It struck me as incomprehensible that I should be allowed to lead such a happy life while I saw so many people around me wrestling with care and suffering. Even at school, I had felt stirred whenever I got a glimpse of the miserable home surroundings and some of some of my school fellows and compared them with the absolutely ideal conditions in which we children of the parsonage at Gunsbach lived. And so here he was, a young man, and he was constantly pondering why was it that he was so happy and others weren't as happy as he was. Well, one day when he was about 21, he was on break from the university and he was laying in bed. He woke up one morning and he was thinking about this. It was constantly on his mind and wondering what it was he should do about it. And he said that I, as I awoke, the thought came to me that I must not accept this happiness as a matter of course, but must give something in return for it. Proceeding to think the matter out at once with calm deliberation, while the birds were singing outside, I settled with myself before I got up that I would consider myself justified in living till I was 30 for art and science in order to devote myself from that time forward to the direct service of humanity. Many a time already had I tried to settle what meaning lay hidden for me in the saying of Jesus, whosoever would save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels shall find, shall save it. Now the answer was found. In addition to the outward, I now had inward happiness. And that was the very beginning step that Albert Schweitzer took on his mission journey. He decided to give his life over to God. He decided that he had been given so much that he ought to give back and that his life should really be in the service of others, if at all possible. And on another podcast, we'll go into detail on his mission journey 
and how he lived those seven laws because it's fascinating. But I just want to point out that beginning step that he took. Here's another example, Mother Teresa. She had already given herself up to God by becoming a nun and she had already done a lot of good and that was part of her mission, one of her callings. And she had been the principal of a girl's school and had spent years and years studying and learning, which was also part of her mission path, which we'll do on another podcast, which which you'll love. But this was the moment that she always called the day that she received the call within the call. She said she was traveling and she heard the voice of God. She said, I was sure it was God's voice. I was certain that he was calling me. The message was clear. I must leave the convent to help the poor by living among them. This was a command, something to be done, something definite. I knew where I had to be, but I did not know how to get there. So she just knew she was supposed to do direct service to humanity, just like Albert Schweitzer. And she didn't know what she was going to do. And she didn't know how she was going to do it either. But she decided within herself that she was going to commit herself to that path, that she was going to make the happiness that she had as a child, just like Schweitzer did, and make it mean something um, for others. She said this prayer often, Oh God, you are all. Use me as you will. You made me leave the convent where I was at least of some use. Now guide me as you wish. So she's incredible. There she is giving her life up to God again, just like Albert Schweitzer, deciding that she's going to serve humanity in some way and leaving it up to God. David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, who might seem a strange person to throw into the mix, who was also very mission-driven and who was also a hero of mine, had the same experience. He found his calling in retail and he was very gifted at it. And he was having um, some success. He had really paid a price. He had lived business and financial principles. And um, the the economy started to just go crazy. And it got to the point where he could sell almost anything in his store that he wanted to sell and money just poured in. And then the market totally tanked. And um, he turned to God for help. And he said that God kind of left it up to him he to suffer through kind of the pain that he had created for himself and it taught him a very important lesson about leaning on God. So there he was, now he's he's turning his will over to God more, he's running the business more according to God's directions, he's more principle-centered, he's more focused on, on what he needs to be doing. And then uh, the money starts to pour in. Over the next few years, as he leans on God in his retail business in a way he never has before, they start to be extremely prosperous. And there's just really gallons and gallons of money, far more money than he could ever spend. And it starts to be a weight and a burden. He said that uh, he prayed and prayed and tried to figure out what he was supposed to do. And finally, one day he went out and he said a prayer. And God said to him, This is my business. Don't touch it. And in a real concrete way, for the first time in his life, he really turned not just his life, but his business and all his worldly goods over to God. He wrote a note to himself that basically said, um, this is my business. Love God. (laughs) And he put it up where he could be daily reminded 
that the business belonged to God and it was his job to run it as God would run it. And so, of course, even more success followed as he gave greater benefits. He paid his workers double minimum wage. He gave his managers all the weekends off. He closed on Sunday. He did all kinds of things that weren't supposed to work in the business world. And all they did was make him more prosperous. And so he took that last step of turning everything over to God. When he sat his family down, they had a series of meetings as an extended family. And they made kind of a pact with each other that the business did belong to God that no one would be paid any money unless they worked in the business and that 100% of the profits from the business would go to charity in perpetuity forever. That no one would receive an inheritance and no one would be given wealth because of Hobby Lobby. So these three individuals, and I could tell you a lot more stories. This kind of goes back to some of the beginning stories in the hiding place. I tell the story of Corey giving her life over to God and saying, I'll do anything you need at any time at any place for your people, for the Jewish people. So it's this willingness. You know, we, we receive according to our desires, what we want in our, in our innermost heart, the thing that we think about all day long, that we're willing to sacrifice for, that we're willing to spend our money on. That's a great indicator. Look at your checkbook and see what you spend money on. And that's what you love. And that's what you desire. And, uh, you know, I could tell you wonderful stories um, about a man who gave 90% of his income away and lived a very, very simple life. Another man who gave all of his, one of the a billionaire who gave everything up. And uh, I'm not saying you need to give all your money away. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you can't enjoy things. What I am saying is that the very first step to life mission, how, do you, how are you going to discover your life mission? You're going to have to search your heart and make sure that you really are willing to hand your life over to God, because that is the very first step. Um, Mother Teresa had already handed her life over to God when she became a nun. She did that when she was young, just like Albert Schweitzer. David Green handed his life over to God, and then he handed his business over to God. And in every case, there was this escalation of, of what these individuals did. It started with that first small step. I belong to you, God. Tell me, tell I'm on your errand. What is it you want me to do? And I could tell you story after story of mission-driven individuals when, who uh, came to know God and know that he was there and love him and wanted their lives to reflect their love for him. And so they just turned it all over. And, you know, this idea of being willing is really critical. It's an idea that I learned from um, Scott Peck, actually, in a book that I stumbled upon one time that helped me make sense of some people and some relationships in my life, but taught me this concept of being willing. You know, we, the scriptures talk about it. We know that it's important. We know we're supposed to be humble. We know we're supposed to be teachable. We know we're supposed to, you know, kind of listen to God. And, but this is, this is, this is different. And I think these stories that I've shared with you reflect the difference. You know, Albert Schweitzer said, I shouldn't just accept the fact that I've been happy all my life. As a matter of course, I should give something in return for it. It should cost me something. There should be hard work involved and I need to give back to humanity in a concrete way. Um, you know, some of the things that, that I've had to give up, I've had to forgive people that were close to me that were in addictions or that hurt me. I had to work hard to forgive myself. I had to work hard on relationships that were really messy. 
I had to learn how to be a good mom. I had to study really, really hard. I had to get up early in the morning, which uh, was one of the hardest things for me. I really don't like the mornings and I really don't want to get up in the morning. And God made it clear that that was something he was requiring of me. I had to get up on stages when I didn't want to. Remember the first time I was asked to speak publicly, I just kept saying, no, you don't want me. You want this other girl over here. You, you should ask her. She's your girl. And uh, they kept saying, no, we want you. We want you. And um, I'll never forget this moment. I had to read this economics packet when I was working on my liberal arts degree. <laughs> and I had, uh, there, I, I think I had four little ones and, and we were homeschooling. And so life was pretty hectic. I had a lot going on. And we would get up in the morning and do school and have lunch. And then I would have them do quiet time and naps. And I would, you know, sketch out a little time for myself. And I had to read this economics packet for this program I was in. <laughs> and it was dry as a bone, man. I I was so bored. I And, and it was so hard to understand. It was all these original thinkers because that's, you know, liberal arts. That's what it is. You read the classics and the original works. And I, I remember one time sitting there just just dragging myself through it, not wanting to read it. And and I finally, it's, it sounds kind of funny, you know, reading economics. I finally am just like, God, why do you want me to do this? <laughs> this is so painful and seems so pointless. I mean, I'm a mother of a whole bunch of kids. When am I ever going to use this information? How's it ever going to help me or anybody else or my family for that matter? And the answer came so quickly, I'll never forget it. It was one of those, you know, few moments in your life where you really ask a heartfelt question and the answer comes immediately. And the answer was, so that you can understand scripture and truth better. And I was really taken back by that. It really made a huge impression on me. And I've, I've never forgotten it because about that time, as I began to understand government and economics, and it opened up this whole world. It was about the time that I was learning about natural law and I was understanding, you know, we found our family mission statement, the truth shall make you free. And I began, my mind began to open up to this idea of natural laws, first principles, principles, and finding those in scripture and living those in my life. And it was a real turning point. I really became a different person. I became a different mother because I was willing to submit to an economics packet, which sounds strange. But it's knowing what God would want you to do and just doing it, making space for it, even when there doesn't seem like there's space. Not to the point of driving yourself insane, but we are such self-limiting creatures, aren't we? We think we know what we're capable of, but we really don't. God knows us much better than we know ourselves. And he'll make up the difference and he'll make up the space when he asks us to do something. The thing I love about these individuals and the reason that I just honor them and their, and their lives so much and that I call them mission-driven is because they didn't have to. In every instance, they were comfortable. They just could have led completely normal lives. And frankly, when they wanted to give up more to God, they received a lot of resistance, even from people that were close to them, even from God-fearing people, that they were going too far, they were doing too much, that what they were doing was ridiculous. But it was this willingness to listen, and God knew they would listen. He knew that they would do what he was asking them to do and that they would just trust him and, and go on faith that everything was going to be okay and a way was going to be made open. There's a great book that I love by a, a, a man who was a close friend of Martin Luther King Jr. It's called A Way Out of No Way. 
And he often, he'll, he'll tell you, he tells story after story of these experiences in the civil rights movement where there was absolutely no way, but God made a way. There had to be a way opened for that to happen. And, and of course, we know the end of that story and miracles took place and, and civil rights passed. So this willingness is so key. We think we're willing, but we always have an excuse you know, I, I, oh, I'm willing, I'm willing to do mission. I'm willing to follow God, but I can't get up early in the morning. I don't have enough time. I'm not good at that particular thing. I've never done that before. That sounds really hard. Uh, certainly I don't have to do that or give up that or try that. And, um, and sometimes it's that we're really shying away from the best that's in us. Sometimes it's not wanting to admit that we are really gifted that we are really talented, that those gifts have been implanted in us, that there are responsibility, there are stewardship, and and that we're we're meant to use them to to fight for right, you know? And the willingness to accept that about ourselves, to accept who God says we are and not our own self-limiting beliefs, and to get busy developing those gifts so that God can use them and can use us. I want to read you this section from Peck that really turned me on to this idea of being willing and just how absolutely critical it is in order for us to really engage in the fight. Um, He's talking about human evil. The book is called The People of the Lie. And um, I I don't want you to think that every time I recommend a book, I, I believe, you know, kind of lock, stock and barrel and every single thing that's in that book. That's not the case. But I find truth there. And, and, and I, and I want to believe that I'm a truth seeker. I try to be a truth seeker. And if I can find some truth that can benefit my life, I want to find that. And so he has some really valuable things to say about evil in the world and evil being something real and people becoming evil through the lies that they tell themselves. And he brings up this idea of, of willingness and, um, and, and what, one of the points that he's making here is that evil people are very willful. Um, there's, he says, the reader will be struck because he's told some stories about people that he considers evil and why he considers them evil. Um, he says, in summary, to a greater or lesser degree, all mentally healthy individuals submit themselves to the demands of their own conscience, not so the evil, however. In the conflict between their guilt and their will, it is the guilt that must go and the will that must win. It's this refusal to admit that you've been wrong, this refusal to look at at maybe you had the right intentions, but you shouldn't have done what you did, or maybe your intentions weren't even right. He goes on to say, the reader will be struck by the extraordinary willfulness of evil people. They are men and women of obviously strong will, determined to have their own way, There is a remarkable power in the manner in which they attempt to control others. And of course, if we're going to talk about the very basics of human life and our relationship with God, it's all about free will, right? And it's all about us wanting everybody else to leave us alone. But ultimately, what we want to do is control others. (laughs) We want them to get their stuff together and stop behaving the way that they're behaving. But we can't. Uh, Our job is just to simply be the best we can be. And to make sure that we uh, are submissive, that we are willing. I, I love this part. He says, this evolution leaves humans in the position of either being totally willful 
or of having to seek new ways of self-control through submission to higher principles. And so he goes on to explain, perhaps, um, perhaps the evil are born so inherently strong-willed that it is impossible for them ever to submit their will. Yet I think it is characteristics of all great people that they are extremely strong-willed, whether their greatness be for goodness or for evil. The strong will, the power and authority of Jesus, radiates from the Gospels, just as Hitler's did from Mein Kampf. But Jesus' will was that of his father, and Hitler's that of his own. The crucial distinction is between willingness and willfulness. So this willingness, this submissiveness, and what's the word here? Submission. So I love this connection between this word submission and mission. We want to be on a mission. And of course, the idea of mission really goes back to, and and I've mentioned this several times in, in other places, you can't be on a mission unless somebody calls you to it. You're appointed by someone else. It's the very nature of a mission. Something needs to be done and you've been entrusted with the task. And so what we're, what I'm saying here is that in order to be on a mission, you must submit. You must be submissive. You must be in submission in order to receive that mission call and in order to execute it properly. And of course, to the level at which you've developed yourself, it's to that level that you have the ability to be of positive uh, impact on others. So your level of self-development is going to correlate with your ability to bless, to be on a mission. And that's why it's so important that you continually grow and you're continually developing yourself so that you can do for others what needs to be done. And you're going to do that through your submissive way of being, your willingness to listen and to act. Now, the seven laws of life mission are are broken up into two kind of parts. Part one is preparatory or foundational. These are the four laws you have to live in order to prepare yourself to receive a call, to know what God is asking you to do. And there isn't just one mission. There's multiple missions. There's lots of things you'll do in your life that you'll feel God wanted you to do. Certainly motherhood is one of them. And so those second laws or leadership laws, that preparatory time, those four preparatory foundational laws are helping you to become a leader. So as you learn to lead, you can then execute your mission to a higher and higher level, right? Now, in order to be able to do that, what makes a leader a great leader is their ability to love. Mother Teresa said, our mission is to convey God's love. The more loving we are, the more we can love others. And as we created, especially level one, love of God and self for the MDM Academy, it was amazing how often all of our discussions came back to this idea of love and how many people don't understand what real love is. They don't understand how to love. And they think that a certain action or behavior is loving, but it's really not. They really just don't understand love well enough. The definition, of course, that I give is pecs from The Road Less Traveled. The will, and that's an amazing word, isn't it? The first word is will. 
You're going to utilize your will. You're going to be willing to do something. The will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. And Peck does go on in a later work to talk about this connection between the mental and the spiritual that there, he says, I don't even distinguish anymore between the mental and the spiritual. They're so intimately connected. And I found that to be true in myself. Albert Schweitzer made the same kind of comments, kind of my personal mission statement. He said, I, I uh, work in the world as one who aims at making mankind morally better and less shallow by making them think. And so I've thought a lot about this idea that we become spiritually better as we become mentally better. Not just knowledgeable, not just understanding facts and not being duped, but really gaining that that ability and that capacity to think deeply for ourselves, to really make connections, find principles, live in a, in a truth-centered way, then we become morally better and less shallow. And we grow spiritually and intellectually. So when we extend ourselves for someone's spiritual growth, we're extending ourselves for the whole person. Love is to choose to take actions that facilitate our growth and someone else's growth. So the first law is to love God. And we love God most when we submit to him. When we find out what he would ask us to do and we get about doing it and it builds our relationship with him, it makes us more dependent on him. And then we can extend that love to ourselves as we learn to meet our own needs. And as we grow in our ability to think deeply, when our needs are met and we're loving ourselves and we have a good relationship with ourselves and with God, that's the foundation of all of our other relationships. When they're healthy and whole, when we're not afraid to take responsibility and we're not afraid of the hard work of loving, then we can grow in our capacity to love others. Scott Peck talks about that too, about the great ability of people to love others and to stretch themselves for others. He says, spiritually evolved people by virtue of their discipline, mastery, and love are people of extraordinary competence. And in their competence, they're called on to serve the world. And in their love, they answer the call. They are inevitably, therefore, people of great power, although the world may generally behold them as quite ordinary people, since more often than not, they will exercise their power in quiet or even hidden ways. You know, you probably don't know the incredible spiritual power of David Green. He just owns Hobby Lobby. He's really rich. You know, you wouldn't think about it unless you knew that he'd given his life and his company over to God. And he's only written a book about it to try to get other people to do the same because it's liberated him and it's brought him so much joy. And that's really so fascinating to me, the words that these great individuals use because they're happier. Other people are happier. It's this expansion of, of joy that comes fundamentally from our willingness to submit to God and to learn to get busy learning to love. Um... One of the things that, that I wrote in the book about the nature of love is that the opposite of love is not hatred, but laziness. Love is work, and therefore the refusal to love comes not from our passions, but from our lack of effort, our unwillingness to put in the effort that love requires. So when, you know, when, when we're unwilling to love others, we're really just being lazy, and that includes ourselves. When we're unwilling to submit, it's because it's hard. It's because it requires sacrifice. But you know what? We're only cheating ourselves. We're only cheating our best selves. We can't truly become who we were meant to be until we're in complete submission so that we can execute mission.
So my challenge to you is to search your soul and think long and hard about how willing you really are. And if you're willing to take the next step to get involved in learning more about what love really is, to learn those laws of life mission, to build your relationship with God, to learn to love yourself better, to get busy on your own education so that you can understand others in the world better, develop your gifts, love truth, become principle-centered, all those wonderful things that will prepare you to be a great um, servant for God that can be used to really bless the world. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you don't have a copy of The Mission Driven Life, head over to themissiondrivenmom.com and grab your free copy in ebook or audio book and get busy learning and living those seven laws of life mission. I'll see you next time.